0: Hey, everyone, it's Vanessa, and I'm here to talk to you about Noom. Noom is a personalized weight loss plan. It's not just one size fits all. It takes into account your dietary restrictions, your medical issues, and any other personal needs. It's like a psychology plan. Just It meets you where you are. And it also recognizes that losing weight is really a mental process. It starts with your motivation and with your brain. Noom's approach is also grounded in science. They've published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that describe their methods and effectiveness. So stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. You can sign up for your trial today at noom.com, that's n-o-o-m.com, and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes. It's available to buy now wherever books are sold.
1: Campsite media.
0: If Sheikh Mohammed felt any pressure from the whole Sheikh Alatifa ordeal, it didn't show. He was busy with, among other things, horse racing.
1: Some horses just give you that feeling, you know? Seeing, telling you that there is something about them. Through their eye, you can see their heart, and the horses. is fantastic.
0: He was also a horse owner, one of the biggest in the world. He's a fixture at Ascot and always used to sit in the royal box with the queen. He started one of the most successful horse racing teams in the world, Godolphin.
2: And it's Messos! Investing Derby In the hands of William Ewing! For Godolphin! Canada has won the Cup! Thundersnow wins it by five. What
3: a night, what a night for Godolphin! You win the Dubai World Cup, you've won the Investec Derby. What a day for Godolphin!
0: Now, someone would sometimes accompany Sheikh Mo on his various equestrian journeys. Someone who is about to become very important to Sheikh Al-Latifa's story.
3: And Princess Haya, amazing for your team.
0: Princess Haya, Sheikh Mohammed's second official wife. She had glossy highlights and glowing skin. She was sort of like a Arab version of Princess Di. Haya was well-traveled, cultured, and a prize-winning show
4: jumper. She turned a childhood passion into a profession when she went on to represent her country at the Olympics in Australia in 2000. When Haya was 26, she became
0: the first Arab woman equestrian in the Olympics.
1: So Haya is... A highly, highly intelligent, very erudite, very smart, very anglicized woman.
0: That's Louise Callahan, a journalist who covers the region.
1: She went to boarding school in the UK and then to Oxford. She's got this love of Jilly Cooper novels, which are these kind of raunchy Mills and Boone style novels. She's very multilingual. She's lived in Paris for a while. Very worldly.
0: Unlike Sheikh Mo's other wives, Haya was famous in her own right. You see, she's the daughter of King Hussein of Jordan and the stepdaughter of Queen Noor, the progressive monarch of Jordan.
1: Women are not simply a category of of a problem to be addressed or ignored. They are key to the solution.
0: Queen Noor was absolutely beloved in the West and in Jordan too. And when Haya's own mother died in a helicopter accident, when Haya was only about three years old, Queen Noor eventually became her stepmother. Haya's world as a child was about Queen Noor and about horse riding. When she was very young, her father gave her a foal who had also lost its mother.
2: Being given that responsibility really and brought me out of, uh, out of my shell.
0: She was the perfect symbol for Dubai's new, modernized image. Never mind that she was about 25 years younger than Sheikh Mo.
1: The idea that she would marry him came as a great surprise to lots of people who knew her. Mohammed, despite his love of horse racing and having lots of property in the UK, his whole outlook on life is very, very centered from Dubai her role, it appeared, was to be the face of the family. So she would appear wearing Western clothes at Ascot with him. She would be photographed with the queen.
0: Princess Haya was about to play another very important role on the world stage. A role that involved Latifah. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. I'm Natalie Robamed. And this is Infamous, Dubai's Missing Princesses, Episode 3. So last episode, Latifah escaped from Dubai, only to be hauled back soon after.
5: Right, and and she recorded that video that would go viral, the one that Louise watched in a cafe in Beirut.
0: So now we're going to hear more about Sheikh Mo's most public wife, Princess Haya, and what she did or didn't know. That's coming up after the break. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad
6: reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. To The Swan, where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, Comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. It all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big flap on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus.
3: Hey, it's Payne, and I'm here to tell you that we're back with a brand new season of Up and Vanished, called Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun. In this newest season of Up and Vanished, I'm investigating an unsolved missing persons case in Nome, Alaska, on the edge of the Arctic Circle. Florence Okpialik, an Alaska native, was last seen on August 31st, 2020, and I've spent the last year in Alaska trying to find out what happened to her, putting myself in the most dangerous positions I've ever been in. You don't want to miss this brand new season of Up and Vanished. It is by far the most intense investigation I've ever been a part of. From Tenderfoot TV, Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun is available right now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media.
5: So, Haya told a court she only became aware of Latifah's disappearance when the rest of the world did in March 2018. Initially, she thought Sheikh Mohammed couldn't possibly be responsible for the forcible return of his daughter. Haya and Sheikh Mohammed had a son and a daughter of their own. He often doted on them, especially their daughter Jalila, who seemed to be Mohammed's favorite. Haya says she asked her husband about Latifa's video. She says he told her that Latifah was bipolar and unstable. Mental illness is even more stigmatized in the Arab world than in the West. So dubbing Latifa’s bipolar effectively painted her as persona non grata. Princess Haya says she felt sympathy for both Latifah and Sheikh Mohammed. But she was basically not involved. Until December 2018.
4: Some viewers may find upsetting. The mystery of the missing princess.
5: This BBC documentary was a major news event. Latifah's story was not going away. Dubai's ruler was forced to publicly respond.
6: This private family matter has caused significant upset and distress for all concerned, most of all, Sheikha Latifa. She and her family are looking forward to celebrating her birthday today, in privacy and peace, and to building a happy and stable future for her.
5: The very same day, a United Nations committee made another request that Dubai prove Latifah was alive. Princess Haya sprang into action. Haya called her friend, Mary Robinson, the former president of Ireland and the former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights.
1: She asked me to come uh, to Dubai and help with
5: a family dilemma. On December 15th, 2018, Mary Robinson says she went to one of Haya's residences for lunch. Mary sat down with Latifa and a couple others. An array of fruit plates and Evian bottles lay before them on a table. They looked at each other, warily
1: chatting. So at that point, there's been a lot of questions about whether Latifa's actually alive. There's a lot of people who have been desperately hoping for the, the UN in particular to arrange a proof of life from Latifa, get some kind of statement out for her. This
5: lunch with Mary Robinson was supposed to assuage concerns, but the whole thing just looked off. Robinson was dressed for a stately lunch a white-collared shirt under a tailored peach jacket, pearl earrings. Latifah was dressed in a hoodie, zipped all the way up.
1: What we get is this weird situation where Mary Robinson rocks up in Dubai, sits down, poses for a photo with Latifah, who, you know, looks like completely blank-eyed and like there's nothing going on. And she looks scared, if anything, I think.
5: Weeks after the lunch, Mary Robinson gave a public interview. She's troubled. Um,
1: She made a video that she now regrets. I had lunch with her. She's a very likeable young woman, but clearly troubled, clearly um, needs the medical care
5: that she's receiving. The lunch totally backfired.
1: The result of this was that the whole issue with Latifa all of a sudden just got a lot more attention.
5: Robinson is getting a lot of heat from different groups about those comments, including from the lawyer who is legally representing the princess who says that Robinson is playing into the hands of Dubai. Princess Haya had to respond. And she did so on a top Irish radio station, RTE Radio 1.
4: Can you tell me why you invited um, Mary Robinson to Dubai?
2: What's been a, a terrible in the last few months for for myself for my family um, It's a situation that was that's deeply private that we've been we've been faced with I- this is why I called mary I called her specifically with a with a question because I'd seen a correspondence from the special um, procedures branch of the UN high Commission for Human rights.
4: Well, when you say it is something that is deeply private, it was Princess Latifa who made it extremely public and consequently gave cause for much anxiety about her welfare.
2: Yes, I understand that and I hear what you're saying. It is a private family matter um, and I don't want to go any more deeply in, into it for the protection of Latifa herself and to ensure that she's not used by anyone else. She's a vulnerable um, young woman and that's what's important to me and what's important to us as a family is to ensure that that she's all right. Basically, Haya spouted the party line. Being asked for proof of life and being asked to prove that someone we love, that I love, is is simply alive is absurd. Um, We've done our utmost to help and protect and support her through this period. It's unimaginable that this thing has gone so far from the truth.
5: Haya made it clear that she'd acted of her own volition.
2: I really wanted to get the right advice from Mary on how to move to, to, to move forward. And I wanted her to, to give me that counsel. I did it as myself. Um, there was you know, no official party. There was no commission. There was no terms of reference. I made the call.
5: Any time the interviewer pressed her on Latifa's disappearance and the BBC documentary's reporting, Haya said the same thing.
2: I'm not here to go into into the details of what is a, a private family matter. She pushed Muhammad's narrative that Latifa's escape had been a kidnapping.
4: Was there a, a a ransom bid?
2: I believe that that has been clearly communicated on a number of occasions. Yes, there was.
5: And she implicitly denied all of Latifa's allegations from her video. If
2: I thought for a single second that any shred of this was true, I wouldn't put up with it or stand for it.
5: But it wouldn't be long before Latifa's version emerged. That's after the break. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold and
3: breathe? You get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out, you relax. It's called
5: the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it.
3: I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body.
5: But there's also a dark side.
3: How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We
5: can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now.
1: This is
3: Infamous from Campside Media.
5: As the Mary Robinson episode played out, Tina Yauhianen looked on in horror. After Tina got out of jail in the UAE, she started working with others on a campaign they dubbed Hashtag Free But she hadn't been able to get back in touch with Latifah. In fact, no one had heard from her in months. Then, Tina was in Finland, sitting with her brother when she got an odd message.
4: I was obviously receiving a lot of random messages from people who were interested about this story or the campaign, but there was something different about this. There was a person wanting to deliver a message from Latifa to me.
5: This was a total stranger. The person said Tina would need to answer a series of security questions before they would give her the note.
4: What did I get as as a birthday gift from her in 2014? And what was the nickname I I gave her when we started Capoeira? So they were kind of questions that a random person would not be able to ask me. That night I couldn't sleep. Yeah, I was so excited and, and nervous at the same time. Like, what's really going on, you know? Am I going to be able to talk to her soon? And Yes, it was just really, really amazing.
5: Finally, Tina received a picture of a letter Latifa had written to her.
4: It was as if she wanted to explain everything on one page. There was just so many things. What happened to her, where she has been since we last met, everything in detail. I was always thrilled, first of all, to learn that she was alive. Um, I was so happy to hear from her, it felt like. It had been forever that we were able to talk. I was able to tell her what happened to me.
5: Tina began corresponding with Latifa regularly. Latifa told her that since her capture, she'd been held hostage in a villa that had been converted into a
4: jail. The reality was grim and sad. I was communicating with my friend who was held hostage. I didn't know how long we would be able to have this contact
5: Tina and her associates managed to smuggle a cell phone to Latifa, And Latifah started sending them video messages. The situation is very hard. In one, Latifa sat in the corner of a bathroom wearing a dark shirt. She brought up Mary Robinson's visit and told the story. But from her side.
7: I uh, introduced Mary. Never said that she was a former UN uh, head of human rights. Never. Um, if I knew that, of course, like I would have said everything, but um, no, she never told me that. We, we were eating and, and everything, and then, hey, she said to me, oh, this is such a nice um, uh, lunch, I want to remember it. Will, will you all come uh, into the living room to take a picture? And I kept saying to her, I don't really want to, I don't really want to. Like I was being polite, I wasn't saying in front of them, hey, I'm a hostage. I was at the camera and my face was like, you know, like, this, not smiling or anything. It was all a setup. It was like they tricked me.
5: Latifa's supporters kept reaching out to human rights organizations for help, but they hadn't heard much since Mary Robinson's visit.
4: It was very hard to realize that and to feel so helpless knowing where she was, but actually not being able to help.
5: So far, Princess Haya had believed Sheikh Mohammed when it came to Latifa. Observers thought Haya may have been either a knowing participant in the campaign against Latifa, or a pawn. But that was all about to change, because a fissure in Sheikh Mohammed and Haya's relationship turned into a chasm. At the end of December, 2018, Sheikh Mohammed published a poem. It was called The Morality of a Knight. One of our producers, Rajiv, is going to read it.
3: If my friend transgresses, I forgive once. But if he repeats the offense, I ensure his regret.
5: The Sheikh seemed angry with someone.
3: I was repelled by your great wrongdoing. The person who has spent his life hunting, he has never hunted. His deeds are like a lion's.
5: Now, Sheikh Mohammed has written a lot of poetry. In the Arab world, it's not super weird for a royal to write poetry. It's like a president releasing a memoir or giving a commencement speech after being in office. It's just something people do. And most of his poems are about horses, his nation. Pretty innocuous, universal topics. But these weren't innocuous. To me, they seem pointed. Venomous, even. Here's another from a few months later.
3: My spirit is cured of you, girl. When your face appears, no pleasure I feel.
5: But Sheikh Mohammed seemed like he wasn't mad at Latifah or even Shamsa. These poems appear to have been directed at Haya, his beloved modern Jordanian wife. Why was he allegedly mad at Haya? It all had to do with a certain employee of hers, Remember how Latifa made friends with Tina, the Caprera Instructor? Well, Haya made friends with one of her own employees, her hunky British bodyguard. And starting around 2017 or 18, he became more than a friend. Right around when all the international drama with Latifa was going on, Princess Haya was apparently having an affair with one of the men who was supposed to protect her. Not unlike Princess Diana who allegedly slept with her own bodyguard. Now, let's just remember that Sheikh Mohammed was legally married to two women at this point. I'm not saying that cheating is okay, but an eye for an eye and all that? Regardless, Sheikh Mohammed's reaction became out of proportion to the affront, and the messages only got darker over the next few months. In one phone conversation, Sheikh Mo allegedly told Haya,
3: I have received bad news about you. I have heard that you were sitting in the palace with the British security. I am starting to doubt you.
5: Haya hung up, terrified. Haya says a number of her trusted staff members were dismissed and replaced with people loyal to Sheikh Mohammed. She probably felt like, all of a sudden, even the walls had eyes. And then anonymous notes allegedly began appearing in her house
3: we will take your son your daughter is ours your life is over
5: by the way we sent a detailed list of questions to sheikh muhammad's attorney about everything you're hearing in this episode he didn't return our request for comment and that wasn't all While their seven-year-old son Zayed was on a trip, Muhammad allegedly phoned Haya and said,
3: He is a desert boy. In a few months, we will take him from you. You will see.
5: According to Haya, Muhammad didn't try to hide his disdain for her in front of their kids either. During one visit, he allegedly said to his son,
3: Zayed, do we need a mama? You see, Haya, we don't need you anymore. We don't need you or want you.
5: By March, 2019, Haya says her desk at the ruler's court had been removed. To Haya it was a public slap in the face, an indication she no longer had any power. Maybe Haya finally realized what Sheikh Muhammad was capable of. Or maybe her own desire for freedom suddenly aligned with Latifa's cause. Whatever it was, Haya was about to pick up the baton Latifa had placed down. But only one of them. Would escape for good.
4: Next time on
2: Infamous. Princess Haya bint al-Hussein, the wife of the ruler of Dubai, has fled the United Arab Emirates.
4: The ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed al Maktoum, has been found by the High Court to have illegally hacked the mobile phones of those opposing him.
7: There is five policemen outside and two policewomen. I can't even go outside to get any fresh
0: air.
6: It showed that the UAE had lied to the world
0: Infamous is created and executive produced by Gabriel Sherman and me, Vanessa Grigoriadis. This episode was co-hosted by Natalie Rovomed, who wrote it with Heather Schroering. Producing by Heather Schroering, Natalia Winkleman, Lily Houston-Smith, and Grace Hearman. Princess Haya did not comment for this series. Shoshi Shmulovitz is our managing producer and editor. Sound design by David Devereaux. Recording by Ewan Lai-Tremuwen and fact-checking by Matt Giles. Voices by Rajiv Gola and Lily Houston-Smith. Campside Media's executive producers are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, Matt Scher, and myself. Campside Media's operations team is Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, and Destiny Dingle. If you're enjoying Infamous, please rate and review the show. It helps us more than you know.